a transfer of cost from the city over to Detroiters. Your voice, thoughts, knowledge, and perspective on what's happening in Detroit to Detroit and for Detroit is important to us. This is why we want you to tell us Detroit. Tell us Detroit is the inaugural Town Hall Community Meeting Series presented by Bridge Detroit and Detroit is Different. Tuesday, July 12th, 2022, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. is the citywide Tell Us Detroit Community Town Hall Meeting. Join us on Belle Isle Park at Shelter 8 for Tell Us Detroit Community Town Hall Meeting. Register online on Eventbrite or Facebook book we are the media that wants you to tell us detroit this blight remediation in our city is preparing for development and the hell with the residents all right welcome back to the detroit is different podcast and we're back in the studios summer's rolling and with summer comes more creativity it definitely comes the the sunny bright lights and so much more and when we talk about bright lights the first thing that i think of is theater detroit has a rich history in theater mm-hmm. and anything in detroit we definitely talking about black folks because this is for show a chocolate city right. and somebody that has carried a a, a flag uh, a banner an anchor when it comes to theater in the city of detroit uh given black folks an opportunity not just black folks but like i said when you talk to trade you talking us mr gary anderson and plowshares theater company how are you doing mr anderson i'm doing fine curry thank you for this opportunity oh man it's uh everything is everything and we we cross paths right um i've actually been connected to plowshares and you longer than you remember because it's like when you're doing a production, there's right. so many people on a production. Right, right. If you knew everybody on a production, you would be like a, uh, I don't know, like a like a, a Rain Man or something. You well, know? you reminded me because, and, mm-hmm. and I was happy to hear that you had done like like two or three shows that yeah. worked with us uh, on mm-hmm. sound and whatnot. So I'm glad to reconnect. Yeah, definitely. Early in my sound engineering days where uh-huh. it's like, wait, I'm, I'm looking and then it's like, oh, one second, the cue. It's like that guy. A guy just broke a bottle. You got to have a... Right, 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 right. It's like, it's like bottle break. It's like, hey, what you doing, man? <laughs> you know, so like just getting that flow mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, in staging and theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've given a short introduction, but Plowshares Theater is a company that's been around for decades. Yes, it has. Um, we were originally founded in 1989. We began producing shows in 1990. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, we're coming up on our, you know, 32nd anniversary in a year. We're this, mm-hmm. we're close to marking our 31st anniversary this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we've been we've been around a bit. It, it's, it, it went from now nah, is driving. It can have a drink. It got a right. kid and family. Right, 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 right. It's 32 yeah, years old. Tell me about <laughs> it. I got two kids uh-huh. grown. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So with this being said, like the whole concept in theater Mm -hmm. um, and Detroit theater, Mm -hmm. we're going to get into the usual Detroit is different story. Okay. But before we get into that, you have a big piece coming up soon. Yes, we do. It goes right into the Detroit history. Right. And we're going to talk more about it. Right. Hastings Street. Yes. Hastings Street is a staple of 
Black Bottom Detroit. If you don't know about Black Bottom Detroit, you can Google it right now. Um, you can know so much about it. I mean, so many songs uh, that cover it. If you're in the blues like myself, if you're in the jazz like many others, I like jazz too. But it's it's covered through most pop culture history too of that time it, when we think of that era. And it was a staple for like all of the champions in boxing all of the mm -hmm. black uh elites in business mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. in, in most arcs of society and even some of the some of the white elites would come and hang out and be a part of what this rich tradition was black bottom was n the name for the segregated black community mm -hmm. that african americans were relegated to because detroit for a large portion had covenant laws which restrict black people from buying houses wherever they were available in the, in the city. Um, the Ossian Sweet story you may know is an example of this. He, he attempted to defy a covenant law that existed in that neighborhood. So the majority of African-Americans the, for, the, for the large portion of the 20th century lived in Black Bottom, which basically went from Gratiot to, oh, I know. Um, Gresham on one side, uh, Grand River, um, Jefferson, and I'm going to, and I forgot the, the most eastern border, mm -hmm. but it was a large swath of, the, of downtown where black folks existed. And Hastings Street was the main thoroughfare. It was the Woodward of Black Bottom, mm -hmm. and it was the... The, the, the place where a number of major cultural organizations, um, uh, entertainment spots, food and whatnot that existed in, um, in, this, in the community. It was a thriving, dynamic, and exciting um, part of Detroit. Mm -hmm. And um, the play, mm -hmm. Hastings Street, right. presenting that. And this is going to be an experience that people can take on the music hall. Right. It's going to be taking place July the 2022, the 21st through, through the, the 31st through the end of the month. So right. you got 10 days. Right. You can check this out. So. So the show is our fictional presentation of, of what happened. In 1949, the federal government passed and President Truman signed the Housing Act of 19, of, of 1949. Mm -hmm. The idea was that was going to usher in what they originally called slum removal, but because that didn't test well, yeah, you got that right. <laughs> they rewrote it into what we call urban renewal. Mm -hmm. And urban renewal was supposed to, after World War II, invest heavily in urban communities and revitalize them. It, we had a War dividend. We had we had a, a big resource that had that had been created during the war. We were much much more prosperous, and the argument was that this was going to help revitalize our our urban core. It was also used by many politicians in communities across this country to disenfranchise African Americans and and also brown people and anybody else that wasn't white. Um, if you look look at where a number of the areas that were quote unquote designated as slums, they were in these what they would have called minority communities. Um, 
And so they attacked them with these, with this initiative, with these resources that had been allocated to the cities, to um, raise what they said was the most damaged, the most un, um, unreformable, redevelopable parts of the community the properties. Mm -hmm. What they ended up doing is actually, as you know, they probably they displaced an entire community of people, because there was a second phase that occurred in 1956 with the Interstate Highway Act that was designed on creating the interstate highways throughout so that people's mobility could be greater. What they really were doing was finding ways for whites that were becoming restless living in cities, having them an opportunity to quickly live in the suburbs and cut down their travel time. So it was the interstate highway that created the suburbs and exurbs and all the other parts that surrounded many urban cores, and that happened here. So they began with the Housing Act, trying to tear down these, people, these buildings. In many cases, the argument was that they were gonna redevelop them. They're gonna put new, new, new housing, new, new businesses on that land. That never happened. They bought up the land, they displaced people, and when the, housing, when the interstate highway funding came through, they just concreted over and turned it into 375 for the most part. So they really decimated an entire core community that existed here. Hmm. So the play is going to get into that, and we'll pick mm -hmm. up with more of that. But now let's get into that classic Detroit is different. Yeah. Your Detroit story. What, what brought you, your family, what, what was it to Detroit? I was, it was 1983, and I had been at, a couple of universities I was originally trying to go to school for theater outside of the state of Michigan mm -hmm. and I gotten a Pell Grant which at one time was just gonna pay for everything mm -hmm. but that was also the year that we that the country elected Ronald Reagan and mm. so in August before I left for Milwaukee uh, to study at the University of Wisconsin I got a letter from the federal government saying your award is going to be adjusted, but don't worry, we'll get back to you in a few, in a, in a month or so. Mm -hmm. And I went thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to tell you how much money they gave me. It was ridiculously how cheap things were in mm -hmm. 1983. And in 19, in um, 1981, um, I got a Pell Grant for $5,500. Mm -hmm. That was enough money to pay for my entire tuition and my housing, out-of-state housing, out-of-state tuition. Wow. I ended up getting um, a notification that my $5,500 grant had been cut down to $1,500. Hmm. So I couldn't afford to stay out. So I ended yeah. up coming home during you know, at, at Christmas, mm -hmm. and I spent a year um, taking care of an, my elderly great-grandmother until she passed. And in 83, I was ready to get, try to get my education back online. And so I decided I knew I couldn't afford to leave the state. And so I came down to Wayne State. And so I moved to Detroit in 83. Okay. Where are your people originally from? My folks originally are from um, Florence, Alabama. They moved mm -hmm. up here in the late 50s. Where to? To Ypsilanti. Okay. Okay. So Ypsilanti, as they know, the... the 
I guess it's like the the brother or sister city of Ann Arbor. To some even though it, it even though it is when I talk to people from Ypsilanti, they're like, no, you realize it's still about 15, 20 minutes away. Right. You know, right. but it seems right. like to Detroiters, it's like, oh, they just, you know, right. like Detroit and Southfield to a Detroiter. And then you right. get up there. Exactly. Like, nah. Exactly. It, mm-hmm. the, the, the difference is not that great. So, um, so a, a little bit of the culture there Mm -hmm. being in that footprint of being in ypsilanti at the time like we're talking 70s 80s we're talking 60 i was born in 1962 so i was talking 60s 70s -hmm. early 80s because when i left i left okay my my mother still lives there but aside Mm -hmm. from that i have no family there in that footprint Mm -hmm. right yeah um you know predominantly white community Mm -hmm. so aspects of black culture weren't endorsed on a grand level but because i lived in the black community and we were doing we were doing black centered activities so you know you have the afro-american um cultural affair that would be in the 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 school's mm-hmm. parking lot and in their uh, on their land you would have you know ch- church events that would be connected that were pro-black Mm-hmm. Um, there were businesses bus- and business members that lived in my neighborhood and whatnot. My grandfather had a business that, that, that supported he and he and my grandmother. And so there were aspects of the culture that I was being exposed to just because I lived in proximity to it. What about it being like a collegiate town? Did it, it feel it like a college town? It is. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I did my first year of undergraduate at Eastern Okay. Um, with a stipend. You know, I got I got a scholarship to go mm-hmm. there, and I was initially I was an actor, and but I got there and I realized that as a black man, I really wasn't going to get the work that I wanted to get that was going to hone me, and then I found out some interesting things about some of my some of the faculty. Um, they were they were traditional in a very destructive way, hmm. um, in that. They had certain attitudes about certain people, yeah. and that had an impact on how they taught their students. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I learned a long time ago: you don't pay somebody to insult you. True, right? That makes that makes perfect sense. And, and we think about just that relationship of uh, Eastern Eastern Michigan. For some unique reason, mm-hmm. it's a lot of Detroiters that go to Eastern, right. more so than a lot of other places. Um, when I was there, Eastern was known as a really strong uh, uh, school education type. So if yep. you wanted to be a teacher, yep. you could get a you could get a good education. You could go off and get a job in the southeastern Michigan area with mm-hmm. no problem. Um, so we. Eastern produced a lot of teachers for the state of Michigan in the latter part of the 20th century. So from there, Detroit and right. Wayne State. So, so I know just being in Ypsi, you, you've come down here before, you uh-huh, visited, uh-huh. you kind of knew some of the culture. I did. What made you jump the fence and say, okay, I'm moving there and I'm going? Because I wanted to be where the action was. And I know in 83, if you, th- if, if you can remember, that was a year after the Hudson's building closed. A lot of the things that was be- that were being in- done in the city that was basically tearing it down or things closing or the depression of the city, that mm-hmm. was happening when I moved here. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I still thought that there was something grand that could be found here and and I found I had a wonderful education at uh, Wayne not to say that the teachers 
all of the teachers were more progressive. They weren't. Mm -hmm. But what Wayne State provided me as a student, both as an undergraduate and a graduate, was the ability for me to learn on my own. Hmm. They, the, the spaces that when I was there were available, and by, that, by the time I got to Wayne, I had decided to shift from being an actor to a director. And so I wanted to direct, and that, uh, what I needed was a space to direct in. And Wayne had spaces that allowed me to do my work unencumbered, make grand mistakes, um, make have wonderful successes. But I learned a lot because I was able to do a lot. Hmm. The program isn't exactly that way today, but that was really what kicked me off, you know. And, and then we think of the culture of mm -hmm. Wayne State in mm -hmm. the 80s. And this is, and, and you were there before uh, even the, you were there before the protest uh, for the black studies. I was there after, I, I was there during the protest and, of the okay. st black studies. Well, you started. I was, I was after, I was after the protest that of the black protest of the theater department. Mm -hmm. In fact, one of the reasons why I think they brought me in as a student in the early 80s was in response to all those things that had gone down in the late 70s mm -hmm. about the student body, the lack of, of you know adequate faces mm -hmm. involved in the, in the curriculum and in, in, in the student body in the program. Okay, so in that in that mm -hmm. consciousness and, and just mm -hmm. even that footprint, like uh, so much has shifted in what's labeled now, I guess, as labeled as Midtown. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It had a different feel in the eighties. It had a different feel oh. in the nineties. So, w like it, it's always been a center to me, and, and it's to some degree, but it just doesn't feel as artistic. But at one point in time, it just felt very artistic it felt like that was the place where if you wanted to if you wanted to walk around you know with blue hair right. and a mohawk and you know it's like it, it felt like almost like a new york ish Bruh, in the middle you, of detroit you you, you you speak in gospel there yeah at the time when i was there there was a lot of activity and a lot of us really kind of showing who we were throughout everything through our clothing through our music Mm -hmm. through the act through the art that we created and there was a real vibrancy but it was it was a very it wasn't an anti-establishment but it was a counter counterculture counterculture definitely mm -hmm. very much so um and it and the the neighborhood i lived in which was right there in a, in in proximity to the to the college it allowed us to be in a kind of bohemian lifestyle I, my first apartment and when I was in school, I had three roommates mm -hmm. and we hung out our apartment. We were in the ABC buildings um, down off of uh, off of Cat, And um, we we called our building. It was like a dorm because the majority of the people in the apartments were theater, were theater related and they wow. were, and they went the way. But they were theater related. Hmm. Um, so it is almost as if we created our own enclave. Mm -hmm. um, we also really had a great ability of, of cross-pollinating, you know, influencing one another in regards to music, in regards to f uh, concepts about theater, art in general. And um, I had a, one of my one of my roommates was uh, Puerto Rican and gay. He came out mm -hmm. during our time living together. He didn't tell me he this is who he was before mm -hmm. and it was fine but that was an experience that I would not have had 
had I not been in the theater. Hmm. Um, and I got, and so I got firsthand to understand the challenges that he felt, not only as a man of color, but also as a gay man coming out in the eighties with mm. AIDS and all the rest of the things. That yeah, were I was going to say a different time. Yeah, completely different time. Mm. Completely different time. Um, I also got exposed to, you know, I don't, I don't use drugs, but I had was exposed to a number of people who did, who the the experience they thought was helping them get into create. a yeah yeah create and. I think you realize that it doesn't it doesn't always work that way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I I think uh, definitely at that time, and we're talking like mid early eighties when, yeah. you know, I, I was born in eighty two. Right. But the arc of like you know people say like crack destroyed the community. It definitely changed certain things. But I, I that's why I like the first couple seasons of Snowfall so much right. because it paints the picture of. You know, and this is a Kari take, okay, for, for everybody watching, <laughs> all right? So, cocaine, for most people in the 70s, was a glamour drug. It yep. was uh, yep. it was uh, something of opulence. It right. was something of success. Right. It was, it was you know, you smoke weed. It was like weed, having a Cadillac. Like, or having champagne, right. or celebration right. exactly. type thing. Exactly. You know, you smoke weed every day of the week, but this mm. is a celebration. Let's do right. cocaine. Right. But it came at a high cost, right. and you, most people didn't have access to it. Right. So now you have this, like, uh, like fast food version of cocaine right. and crack. And most people are like, wow, I, I've, you know, I know these celebrities do it. I, I've heard so much of, of this. It's, it's, it's where things go. And it's basically the same stuff. Why don't I try it? So, like, you have to. So, I, I think Snowfall did a great example of, like, presenting it mm. from that angle. Because now, oftentimes, when we look at it, we look at it in retrospect without looking at it from the onset of the beginning and not even understanding what that addiction could and how that addiction could impact the community. What you, what you really were seeing was the similar approach that Chrysler took to creating cars they could produce for every type of customer. Mm -hmm. So you had Chrysler's, you had Dodge Mercury's, yeah. you eventually ended up having the Eagles and AMC when they purchased them, right? Mm -hmm. and, they, and all of those brands were at a different price point. So the idea was that Chrysler could produce a car for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. Likewise, with drug dealers, you found that those who couldn't afford cocaine, mm -hmm. you could give them crack, and that would be sufficient because of the way you looked at that as a yes. market segment. Yes. You, you, didn't, you wanted their money. You didn't have much respect for them, but you wanted their money, and so you found a way of creating a product that they would find accessible. Yeah, and it and and sadly, I mean the same way that right now certain drug I mean drugs are a part of American culture. So let's just Drugs are. Let's just be honest about it. Right. So um but that being there witnessing that, especially in the art scene because mm -hmm. artists usually look to possibly a substance or possibly a relationship look to muses look to inspirations in different right, places right, and right, formats right, right. it could be a restaurant it right. could be a i just want to go to this coffee shop and write or right. whatever you know what i mean you know the thing that saved me from that was actually getting deeper into our culture hmm. and really looking at that as 
the fountain from which I, I, I took water, the fountain from which I was inspired for much of the stuff I did. Um, you know, I did work through most of my college, my undergraduate, my graduate work, which was basically taking white European plays and producing them to the satisfaction of a white European hmm. faculty. And my desire was to have a work, have a theater that could reflect the concerns, ideas, and opinions of black folks just like you and me. Because even though we see black folks in front of the camera, in many cases, the work we see on television, the work we see on in films, those are not products that are created by African-Americans. And here's another sad story. Just because it has a black writer or has a black director does not mean it is black consciousness. And so coming up the way I did, coming out of Wayne, Plowshares was really created as a mechanism by which we could actually do work that was culturally based. And, and I want to expand upon that. Sure, sure Because sure. it's so many creatives I meet mm. a lot of times. And and even having the stage, I, I'm doing a lot of studio now. You see me in my a lot of studio <laughs> shirt, me, Piper. Um, and, um, you know, artists are so eager to, like, get an opportunity. Right. They want the stage, which right. I support. Right. But... For a stage, and especially a stage that I feel gives a good presentation, it take it comes for me at least with a lot of other responsibilities and an understanding of a lot of the thought process where I know that really I'm walking this path in certain ways by myself. And I'm painting a picture of a dream I have in my mind mm -hmm. that really nobody else understands. They see themselves in the role of like getting on the stage, but mm -hmm for that stage to exist it may be like it may be thousands of other steps that even come together for me to you know uh get my community stage popping and right next door to my house have a band on stage and play a song right right and and the the thing that we have probably made the biggest mistake on is how we have usually attempted to replicate the model that has been presented for us. Mm. And what I mean by that is we take a Eurocentric focus yeah. and that we were try to replicate it. And, and, and we use their benchmarks as the benchmarks we create for success. And what we find is invariably no matter what, what happens, what, one of two things can occur. Either we fail because we want to do something more consciously based, more culturally based, and a model that really isn't designed to support that. And so we fail financially, we fail culturally, we fail in a number of ways. Or we abandon those principles for the sake of financial success, you know, popularity and whatnot. What you just said is definitely very deep, and that's where I kind of want to lean into yeah. some of your story. Because I look to someone like you or Oliver Ragsdale. I look right. to you know Zaina from Spectacles. I look to George yeah. Namdi. I look to like um, and Gia Kai, like these cultural creatives. Yes, yeah. Which 
now it's like new terms and art direction. And right, right, right. There's right, so right. much new stuff that, that comes out now. And we I like keep finding new ways to say the same thing. Yes, but finding this space mm -hmm. where you do have something that's intentional and purposeful, mm -hmm. where it's in a creative space, in an industrial city. Mm-hmm. What... How, what is that like getting the buy-in as you as you getting the buy-in of an audience to even have an understanding as i love what you said like uh, building like the framework and the platforms where we're now not necessarily looking at it through the lens of like if i'm going to see a play i need to look at it at the standard of the play that was set through the standard in my mind through greater society i need to look at it at the standard that's set from plowshares right. So one of the things that we're doing with this production, th this is the first show we will have done. It's our relaunch, our reopening, our return to the stage. Mm -hmm. And we're doing this huge musical because somebody told me, you crazy for trying to do that the first thing out. I said, no, 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 it's, it's for a reason. It's intentional. It's intentional because mm -hmm. we, like you said, we need to reset the standards. In 2020, when Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, and on and on and on were mm -hmm. being killed on the streets where black life had no value. I was paying attention to that. And for me, it became clear that I couldn't come back and just do anything and call it black theater. We have a responsibility to address many of the challenges and concerns and circumstances. We're now sitting here at the cusp of probably the most conservative wave that's ever hit this country in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. Things that I grew up assuming were just standard, acceptable, are being whittled away on a daily basis and if we have a school system that is going to be constrained be, by not being able to tell the truth mm. it becomes incumbent upon artists to step in and stand in the gap hmm. we have to as storytellers evoke the names and the circumstances of our ancestors and use those as a catalyst to raise awareness. Mm. And it's our responsibility to educate anybody who's willing to listen about that. So that means it's not about just focusing on something that's just simply an entertaining idea. Mm -hmm. There is f sustenance here. There's food here. Um, the musical that we're doing, the music is phenomenal. We just did a, we did a stumble through, which is you, you, you sketch out everything, you block out everything, we just, and we had only gotten through the first act. Um, we did a stumble through of that just to see pacing and see where we're at, mm -hmm. how much people retained. And the show already looks good. Hmm. Um, the reading we did a couple of weeks ago, that was good. 
So what I'm trying to tell you is that there is something here. Prior to this, Plowshares, to be quite frank, has struggled over the last 32, 33 years mm -hmm. fighting to try to do the work that we believe it's important to be done. Yeah. And there are others who have stepped forward at, on occasions who have gotten the limelight and gotten the attention um, for being diverse. And, but their, their commitment to that principle is only short-lived. We need a sustained institution, and that's really what I'm, that's what I recommitted myself to when we were sitting around on, on our hands for two years, hoping and praying that we were gonna be able to come back and invite people into a theater once again. Yeah. I told my audience in April of 2020 that Plowshares was gonna come out of this stronger than it went in. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that we have. That's good. We're better funded. We have a strong policy formation of what we want to do. We know who we are. We know mm -hmm. what we need to do, go after. And as you said earlier, our work is extremely intentional. Mm -hmm. So there's never going to be a question on the part of any audience member as to what they are receiving from Plowshares Theater Company. And, and I think that uh, just even seeing you being so impassioned mm -hmm. about this mission, mm -hmm. it, it permeates through the project. It, it impacts everyone involved in it. And that's one of the things about these creative projects that as difficult as it can be, right. it also is fulfilling to, to to inspire especially people in this industrial town right, right where they right. feel creativity is something like what are you doing you know like almost like it, it it's whereas i feel creativity is the lifeblood of our people right but, right right you know it, it can almost be like looked at like you you're crazy for trying it because in the structure of of this society right how we interpret it it's only like a certain as you say it's only certain paths right. and gateways to get there right but like when that passion comes together and and you have the person opening the curtains mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i mean the face of the person that welcomes you to right. the door to give right. you the play bill right the person that you know uh is is loading out the food so it's food in the back for the for the actors and right. actresses and the makeup the 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 lighting the sound the 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 costumes all of it like if if everyone is moving in that mission, it, it mm -hmm. now a uh, energy and a spirit starts connecting, mm -hmm. where that even connects in in place through to the crowd. Mm -hmm. Where now it's like we feel like we're a part of something. I feel like I'm witnessing something. This right. is experiential mm -hmm. in a deeper beyond way. Right, if right. it was just something watching right. on the screen. Right, right, right. It, you you can enjoy some a, a show, but if you if you sense it, you feel it. You understand? It's trying to do something to yeah. you. Yeah, that's a different experience. That's that's the, that's the experience we're trying to put on the stage. Um, we one of the concepts, the foundational ideas, the principles that we're working with with now is Harambe, and it's mm. you know Swahili for all pull, pull together. together, all pull together, right? The end of every Kwanzaa celebration, right, those seven right. times. <laughs> so, our objective is once we one thing I know. I don't do this by myself, mm. but that we all understand. And I told this to the cast 
when we got together for the reading, I told them that this show doesn't work unless we're all committed to making it work. And they they accept they 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 you know people have a tendency to say yeah 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 but I say you have to understand this. This is going to be the most challenging project all of us have ever been involved in. Hmm. And when we succeed, we succeed. And it's taken only a few days for that to really sink in. For that, for the, for that unity to build. Right, right, right. And and as we talk about this unity building, and I want to talk some more about. I mean, there's so many things that that now this discussion has me going in my mind. Oh, good. Um, so going back to you and uh-huh. and that and that time and that uh-huh. transition and even the foundation of plowshares right 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 uh as much as we talked a little bit about you know uh some of the ways people would escape right. it was also a centered uh, uh, uh the pan african consciousness right, right right was more was more uh it, it was a part of pop culture in certain ways through through hip hop it was a part of through film through theater through through visual art right. uh it, it was it, it was a different time when we think about that mid to late 80s right. and, and that foundation of right. where plowshares was whereas when we think of today and where things stand with um with where african centered consciousness here in america things are different um it's a it's a it's a black consciousness. Absolutely. It's a it's a it's 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 a move for diversity, but right. it, it just feels a little bit different. It has it has to be. It mm-hmm. has to be because what we need to understand is that the tools we've used what what is it, Audra Lloyd? You you, mm-hmm. you ever Lord, you ever mm-hmm. hear her? Yes. She says the mas- the master's tools cannot tear down the master's house, right? True indeed. So we have to understand we can't use what they use. Yeah. So we have to create an entirely different mechanism by which we want to achieve our goals. If we want a world where black lives actually matter, we have to create the messaging throughout everything we do that centers those black lives and establishes establishes for an audience why those black lives are important. See, and now you're really speaking to me and you got me triggered. You got my mind going because (laughs) that creativity ties to the culture. Exactly. So when people talk about like, why is culture so important? Culture is so important because culture, especially with us, it, it builds the framework and the blueprint for how we establish standards. Exactly. Like, you know, as they say, you know, it's like, what do they say? Like it took years for somebody to run like the five minute mile. And then like after that person did it, then it happened after I think that same flow is existent mm-hmm. with how we impact through creativity. Right. I mean, black culture itself is the leading uh, is the leading, I would say, export for America and, and the leading and the leading standard for what pop culture is in society. Like never in my life. I, like I, I was born in 82 and right. I always loved hip hop. Right. Never in my life. If you would have told me in you know in 87 88 when i was listening to run dmc and stuff because my cousin's spinning it that okay one day this will be the leading uh this will be the leading standard of how a lot of pop culture is delivered to the point where it will be white neo-nazi groups that make rap songs that sound just like the rap beats that rappers are having that is the rallying cry for anti-black 
propaganda. Like right. I would have, I'd have been like, man, get the. I'd have been like, no, they'll be listening to rock and roll no, because no, that's what they do. No. You know what I mean? But but that's how appropriation works. And not right? just appropriation, but I think it's like our standard. It's definitely that, but like our like we almost set a standard for what becomes cool, what becomes uh, where things are, and that richness sometimes. I don't know how uh, that we don't connect to right. the richness of it. Well, you know time. what it is, is that we we live a life where on a regular basis, we are constantly told that what we do doesn't have any worth. Hmm. And part of that is by design. Part of that is by if you if if we devalue what we create, they can easily come and imitate it and present it to us as something authentic. So regardless of whether they acknowledge the fact that this stuff comes from black creators mm -hmm. or it was inspired by black creativity, they always end up benefiting from the pro because they become the originators. Perfect example. So you have classical music in the world, the European mm -hmm. Western classical music, right? Mm -hmm. The idea behind being successful in classical music is no matter what subsequent decade or century it is, somebody in 2022, it, a, 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 an expert musician is required to sound exactly like someone when that music was originally written. Mm -hmm. So if you're playing it in, eight, in 2022 and it was written in 1819, you are not are required to sound as if you were in 1819. Mm -hmm. That's and and so we we the thing where we the measurements by which we look at success is all on execution, imitation, um, 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 replication, and precision. An African-centered approach is completely different. Mm -hmm we never do it the same way twice billy holiday right mm -hmm. so that's why when you were growing up you would have the rap then you'd have the extended rap and then mm -hmm. you'd have the rap featuring some specialists mm -hmm. right right yeah and so the whole thing was it was constantly being reinvented mm -hmm. because the concept and what an, an African concept of creativity is that the con the, the creativity never stops. Mm -hmm. um, we are constantly imagining. So we have that for 500 years, the, the Western idea of music and how that, what, what is the one movement that countered at that? The formation of jazz, mm -hmm. jazz, brought in improvisation mm -hmm. it it in fact the music industry we have today would not exist if jazz hadn't been created mm -hmm. jazz allowed us to recreate on the in the moment be inspired by artists we we're playing with at that time and what it did was it unleashed the creativity that became popular music in this country. Real, the real creativity that became popular music, but they had to divorce it from black culture. Yeah. So the first jazz artists that get recorded in this country are white men. Mm. 
And they, when they are interviewed, they clearly say there is no black influence, there's no Negro influence in this art form. And that has been the case regardless of what industry you talk about. The innovations that African-Americans have made in sports, in visual arts, in business, in other areas of, of our society have always been ignored or diminished as important in the context of giving credit mm -hmm. because we can't have created something that then is emulated by white people that is of worth. Now they can come back and reinvent it, yeah. but we can't be the originators of it. And that's mm -hmm. happened pretty consistently. Yeah. So, but we have are, are the the mother's milk of, of American uh, creativity. Definitely. I have, a, I have a friend of mine who says, so here is, is a two-phase phrase. So imagine America without black culture. It is like a lot of those countries, I assume, in like the Eastern European bloc that people don't know about. Right. Like I always say, imagine Michigan without Detroit. It's Montana, right. exactly. South Dakota, right. North right. Dakota. It's, right. it's one of, it's right. a, as they say, flyover state. If you take that aspect of black culture out mm -hmm. of that environment, you completely change the chemistry of that environment. Yeah. So imagine America without black culture. Now, yep. imagine black culture without Detroit. Oh, man. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, you know, I, I'm always like going back and forth. The other day, I was somebody that put something up about the the funk down in Dayton, and I was just messing with them. You know, I'm like what? you know, you know, them Dayton guys was coming up here right. dealing with Don Davis to right. get that feel. You know what I mean? But I, you know, that's that's, that's a whole other discussion. And so, plowshares you know. exist as a way of cultivating that innate talent that's here. Mm -hmm. It's it's a way for us to create writers and directors, designers, mu music musicians, composers that are here who. Mm -hmm can't initially go elsewhere or if they do, they we provide them with a forum a showcase a platform yeah so that we can start saying no we can do this here because one of the reasons why the detroit used to be a home for the creation of new musicals mm -hmm. hello dolly started here in detroit hmm. before it went to broadway um Seven Bryce and Seven Brothers started here in Detroit before it went to Broadway. Hmm. Um, but there's no been no black musicals that started here. And I'm not saying that Hastings Street is going to be picked up and go to Broadway. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that we create the catalyst for black creativity to occur here at a level where people can see that it can be moved easily into other markets other venues elsewhere so as yeah. opposed to always asking what somebody did in new york somebody did in atlanta and bringing that here detroit needs to be the, the place the place where these things create and mm -hmm. plowshares wants to be the home where we cultivate that work for the stage so when we talk about that the casting and finding crew and stuff mm -hmm. like that because like you say i mean it's a lot that goes into it set design oh, yep. sound design well, we talked a little bit about costumes but you know and then even just running the stage management um how do you go about finding the team and uh do you 
rotate your team or do you kind of like uh is it like project to project how, how do you find the right match in some cases it's, it's project to project because you have mm -hmm. to find the right fit in other cases we try to use projects that where we have the resources I got to you. bring on people who may not have the full you know toolbox of talents and skills and allow them to work at a on a production that gives them those kind of skills mm -hmm. um we're doing some assistant designer positions on this show okay in large part because i want to not have to question where am i going to get black designers to do my shows hmm. where am i going to find black um, stage managers to mm -hmm. do my shows. Where am I going to find black directors? I'm desperate to create opportunities for black folks who take the craft of directing seriously. And I, and I and I put that caveat on it. There are a bunch of actors who, because they can't get work, think that they can direct, and and they may be able to, but it requires you to be open to understanding that directing is more than just talking to the actors expound because in my mind i'm, I'm a novice here so uh, you know, here's the explaining. thing here's the thing what's a director doing a direct, in a play a director in a production has to see the show before anybody else sees it i usually tell it like this way in the course of any production there is a time when the playwright knows the play better than anybody else there comes a time later on when the director knows the show better than anybody else. Mm. And then there comes a time when the actor on stage, breathing and delivering lines to an audience, knows the show better than anybody else. Because the creative process has to move that centered knowledge from the playwright through the director to the actor on stage. Because the, the commitment has to be sincere and strong when they're telling the story. Mm -hmm. um, we have to understand that a director just does just that. They set the direction and the course for the show. So is that through like, like is that kind of like having good people skills, a little bit of psychology, is it skills, sociology? It's, like what, it's all what are that. they, you know? But it's also about interpretation. Mm -hmm. It's all, also about core comprehending what this work can say because in many cases the statements the ideas the messages of a play may not be explicit and they might not be explicit it's implicit right and people have to gain that understanding and then even like i even use the term you know not breaking the fourth wall people have to understand and interpret certain things they have to see behavior that they that they see as familiar mm -hmm. and they have to see it in a fashion where they understand what really is going down here mm -hmm. once did a show where two men who were fighting over one woman mm -hmm. um, one of the guys was gone he was in jail and while he was in jail another guy tried to make time with his girl that sounds and like uh that sounds like a, a, a tale like as old as time. <laughs> that sounds like a say. lot of stories. Yes, a tale as old as time. So he comes back home. He tries to make good with this with with his girl, mm -hmm. and she tries to keep it quiet that mm -hmm. this fellow was coming by. And they get into this conversation while they're while they're in the back backyard playing a game of poker, and the the 
the guy who was trying to make time on somebody else's woman. He starts talking about this rooster. Another one of the neighbors got a rooster. They're, they live in a city. They live mm-hmm. in a black neighborhood in, in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And he starts talking about the the rooster. And he said, that rooster only crows at such a time. Well, you know, the brother's sitting there playing poker. He's losing anyway at the game. Mm-hmm. And he's irritated at that. He figures, he, he wakes up and says, how the hell you know what time that rooster crows? Mm-hmm. When would, how, when was you over here, right? Yeah. And he's and he has to he has to get out of that because he done said something that could lead to the brother understanding he was trying to make time with his woman. Yeah. So we ha- that's that's not as clear in the script as all those dynamics. But what we had to do was really emphasize that moment in a way. So everybody clearly understands what he's saying because the lines don't really do lead you there. Mm-hmm. If you just read that scene, you may not even get that. But we had to play it in a way where the behavior of those characters, the behavior of the girlfriend who realizes mm-hmm. he's talking too damn much. He's about to get his ass kicked, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, she has to step in in a way and cut things off. And she has to signal non-verbally, like with her eyes, that he needs to shut up about this mm-hmm. um, so he can go back and lose this hand and not be wondering yeah. where you, how are you, how do you know these things about no, what's rooster. going on right how do you know these things about this rooster this rooster here the only way you know about when that rooster crow in the morning right in the morning in the morning right mm-hmm. right so when was you in the morning over here where my girlfriend is mm. right so <laughs> That's that's deep, right. and, and and a director's keeping pace with that, and and with that, just finding and growing that talent, like as right. as a person that produces this, because that's another role. The right. producer wears a big hat because they're paying for everything. And, they sure and, are, and and covering that ground, but also bringing everybody together too. So there's a lot of talent here. There is a lot of talent here. Okay. We don't always recognize, and we find it hard sometimes because we don't, again, the projects that would showcase them aren't as consistent, and so we don't see that evident throughout here. Do you, do you take chances on um, new, new actors and actresses and new talent as much as you may, or are you always like, okay, you got to have like four or five years of experience. I've been on like 10 productions or I saw you at the repertory theater one time. You know, we do a a whole host of that. If you look at the show, if you look at Hastings street, Mm. Hastings street is going to have a wide range of talent from people who are well seasoned, been on stage for a number of years, have Mm. had lengthy careers in the in the theater, theater mm-hmm. in television, yeah. Um, in some cases, we got one artist who's been on Broadway, who's been on Broadway in shows, mm-hmm. has never played a lead, but mm-hmm. but she's been in shows. Um, we've got other actors who are, have been consistently working around here. Some of the actors who are are more coming from an operatic background. Mm-hmm. Um, some are part of R&B groups hmm. um, but have some t- some some training in theater mm-hmm. what we wanted and even though we have that wide range what we want is we wanted to create that community 
the show is a replication of the community of Hastings hmm. Street. Okay. So what we're trying to do through this show is evoke the spirit of this community through this through the, this community of actors. Mm-hmm. And in fact, we keep talking about that a great deal. That everybody that's part of the reason why the Harambe idea was so critical to me. And how many people were on this show? We have on stage 20 actors. Wow. Wow. 10 musicians. Wow. And we got crew and whatnot and, and operators. Yeah. How? Okay. Where? <laughs> where? Where is this going to be at? The Music Hall. Music Hall downtown. So you can see the marquee. Everybody knows where the Music Hall is. And you all will see more information about that. 350 Madison Avenue. So did. So that's also like as I get into my technical nerd yeah. mind, this is the other thing that goes into when you have a production that big, the mm-hmm. choreography of it. Right. We got Not chore- just dancing, but you have to choreograph the steps because if it's 20 people on stage, you can't just say, okay, I'm supposed to say I, I'm, I'm about to go to the store. I'm going to walk out the door. Right. If you do that and it's 20 people and I don't know in which way you're going, right. I could bump into you. Right, right, right. Not good play. Right. You know what I'm right, saying? Right, 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 right. Or, exactly. or if that happens, you got to make it look intentional. But how, you know, even the staging like that, is the director the one that's doing a lot of that choreography? And, I did some like, sketching out of some of the, but we have a choreographer who mm-hmm. actually is doing the movement. Okay. Um, she's embellishing on top of the frame that I created. Okay. In uh, some things. And then she's completely, she has carte blanche to, cat, to, to do the choreography on a, our biggest numbers, like the big number of the show, is here on Hastings Street. It's the title song, and so she has completely choreographed that mm-hmm. at the top, and it's the top of the second act. So okay, um, it's a big number. And okay, so when when I'm getting in that zone as somebody that's uh, relatively new, am I looking for the advice of the people that are older? Like, how am I soaking up this game to? Deliver on how you I know it's important deliver. for us. See, this is one thing we keep forgetting. Um, you probably heard of the brother Dr. Naeem Akbar. Mm-hmm. Okay, he came to my church back in the nineties, mm-hmm. um, and he 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 said something that sticks to me today. Our communities, and he was think, he was talking about many of the black community were elder ruled, adult run but child-centered. Mm-hmm. So the concept was that we were doing all we were doing for the next generation. The elders had a position of authority, respect, and honor that we focused on. The adults ran the show, but we were doing it to setting it up for the next generation. Hmm. Um, and so, in much case, that's what we are doing here. We're we're, we're reflecting that in the production. Mm-hmm. We have senior artists. We have artists that are some of the more senior people. They are the village elders. They're the they are the black bottom elders, mm-hmm. and we give respect and honor to them. There are adults, some of which have strayed that or have redirected their energies. That the play shows. Because we have to do this in more than one way. We got to show people who have sincere aspirations, but at the same time, they sometimes might make the wrong decisions for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. And so, even when you, even when that happens, there has to be a community 
that comes back and supports you as you get on the right track. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we have, we got one child in the show and she's there to remind us who all of this was for. My, um, my wife was born and raised in Black Bottom for the early part of her years. Mm -hmm. Um, My father-in-law had a boarding house. In fact, that's how he met my mother-in-law. She she and her mother came up from Alabama, and they were tenants in his boarding house. And Hmm. they started dating and got married. And so that's where my wife lived for the first two or three years of her life. Her sisters, her two older sisters, they lived there longer. Um, But when the city bought him out in the 50s, he took the money that they gave them, which was not the worth. It was not comparable to the value of the land of the property yeah he ended up going out to ecourse road and building a house he and his brothers mm-hmm. built the house that they grew up in mm-hmm. um on a plot of land that they had acquired and he ended up becoming an independent garbage man which you you people may not know about this today but there used to be independent garbage men who would come by and haul garbage away mm-hmm. as well as the municipal garbage men for a city um, and that, so this child that's in the show is kind of representative of the children that was there, like my wife, like her sisters, mm-hmm. um, who they are the real victims of what tearing down that community because that was a huge hit on generational wealth. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You got a business that has a certain value. You got land and property that has a certain value. The city wants to undervalue it and give you what they want, not what it's worth. And there are scalpers, people who are trying to take advantage of you. And so they, they think they can, they'll scare you off and they'll give you even less than the city's going to give them. But they'll acquire larger parcels so that when the city comes to them, they got four or five different plots. And they'll get more money because they have adjacent plots and they have a larger footprint yeah. mm-hmm. than if they just had one property that they were trying to sell. Yeah, that's that's deep. And so that's the play really deals with all of that because part of what we need to remember is that justice is not just cultural justice, it's economic justice. And we were talking about spaces where we can do this. Black Bottom was a space where all of the creativity that the black community at one time reside that's where it was um and when we talk about spaces where black people can just be black mm-hmm. right there is a debt that hasn't been paid back mm-hmm. and so we really need to focus on how we call out that outstanding debt and get people to understand that we have to re- replicate, we have to repair, we have to build these new spaces to make up for the ones that we lost, the ones that you took from us. Okay. And so one of the big missions of Plowshares over the next decade is to get its own home and use that home as a catalyst for transforming a, a community, an economic community with a really inspired act of economic development that we partner with others to do the work that provides jobs and opportunities 
for folks that provides venues and, and resources to help provide to give people um, homes and opportunity for businesses that'll benefit the overall community. Wow, that's that's deep. That's deep. It's so much more. I'm going to have to get you on after this production because <laughs> we're going to pick up this other things. Okay. I, you, you trigger so many thoughts. But um, as we get into a close now, I have my classic Detroit is different questions coming. Yeah, sure. But even before those, I, I, I just have another question about, you know, w what's this experience? Like, who should I bring if I if I come like talk to the people? What's the experience you when I come to the Hastings Street? Should I should I plan? A, a, you know, do I do I dress up in a zoot suit? Do I come? Fleshed out. What what's gonna be the experience? Brother, come for? as you wish. You can be okay. you can be dressed to the nines. You can have uh, your jeans and t-shirt on. Okay. We are welcoming everybody. Okay. But what we want is a group of people who want to come in and experience a show that hopefully will tell them the importance of their history mm -hmm. should not be ignored, should not be constrained because it might make somebody else uncomfortable um we need to and and what we want to do is if we ignite your interest in the subject then you need to take the next step to go and find out additionally wow. what else you need to know about this okay and and one of the things that we're doing also is connecting to the other individuals who can share their story hmm. and expand on what we know about this community because in many cases we have forgotten many of those elders who have vibrant stories to tell us but for some reason we've totally ignored them we've seen that their story doesn't matter um, there's a great deal of wealth in us really seriously taking it into consideration conversations across generations about circumstances hmm. um, because I'm afraid in many cases we are going to be looking at forces at play in this country that our grandparents were more familiar with than we are Wow! and I've been telling everybody I am not leaving here where my grandchildren are less free than my grandparents were hmm. So that means I got to do something. I feel that. I feel that. And I, right? I definitely, I mean, I'm, you know, like people know, you know, I'm, I'm here, here for real. Like right. Detroit is different right. still here. Right. Kari's going to be here. Right. It would take a lot to shake me. Right. So that brings you to the classic Detroit is different questions. Very first car, year making model. What year did you get it? Year making model. <laughs> Very first car. It was uh, a 19... 89 Dodge Shadow. What year you get it? I got it in 89. Okay, so new car. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was new car. Okay, where was the first place you went when you got it? I went to pick up my friends and Joyride. Okay, hey, that's a good, we went, that's we a went, good place. We, we went, ended up going to Belle Isle. Hey, that's, right a, that's a good first place. Right, right, right. Okay, okay. All right, um... It's the end of the fireworks, which actually is happening tonight. We were recording the oh, night really? of the fireworks. You're the DJ uh -huh. at Woodward and Jefferson. You get to play three songs. What three songs you playing? Reasons by Earth, Wind, and Fire. Okay. Um, 
I'm going to play. I'm going to play. Um, Living in the City by Stevie Wonder. With that. And I'm going to play um, Isley Brothers. Um, it's going to be. Um, it's going to be. Oh, which one? Which one? <laughs> um, uh, oh, goodness. Um, what is it going to be? Because I'm trying to choose, trying to choose. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be an Isley Brothers tune. It could you be. You don't know which one. I I just you know my go tos my my, okay. my my OG go tos. I'm with um, you. Uh, oh goodness. Um, living f- no no. Going for the guns. What? Uh, good lord. I, I I'm trying to think and I'm probably blanking. Okay. All right. Well, Isley Brothers, you can't go wrong. Nah. Those people down 75, as we know, that Cincinnati Lincoln Heights connection. We with it. Um, and last question, usually, okay, this this is the switch. You know, I always ask, would you who would you rename Woodward after? But that's for Detroiters. Outside is if out of towner coming to Detroit. Yes. Who's the first? Where's the first place you take people when they're like, hey, what should I do? I take him to Bell Isle. I used to- oh man, you you just stay on the on the <laughs> rock. I'm with it. I'm with I'm, it. I that place was really important to me when I first moved here. That's deep. Because, um, and in fact, the reason why is because it's a it's an oasis within the city. Mm. Um, we haven't always treated it well, mm-hmm. um, but it's a priceless resource. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm sorry that um, it's not completely under the control of the city any longer. Well, uh, many of us are, and what's unique about this play, this this Hastings Street play, is that um, some of the catalysts in this story deals a little bit with something that happened classically right. on Belle Isle. Right. Uh, so that's unique, and um, yeah, Belle Isle is a gem. You know, it's it's a gem. It's one of the few, I guess places that anybody in the area metro detroit southeast michigan has definitely stepped foot on i have spent many a weekend Hmm. just enjoying just enjoying the day you know hanging out with friends Um, not always fishing just shooting stuff you know Mm -hmm. you could be you could be playing cards Mm -hmm. or just talking or singing or dancing um and then you have the cultural institutions there. You've got the aquarium and got the the um, planetarium, the planetarium, yeah. botanical garden. We're really blessed for everybody that knows the giant slide. I know that everybody. That's like, right. The giant slide. That's right. Like, yes. The, right. The giant slide for the kid in you. Definitely. But yeah, it's a. That's where I always take people. Hey, that's a great first place. Yeah. You know, hopefully it's not too cold though. <laughs> <laughs> I've hey brother, you don't know. I've done that too. I will I've like, gone at You take somebody from the south to Belle Isle on a February day, they're like, hey, they're, yeah, no. Nah. I have taken good looking fountain, I'm ready to get back in the ride. <laughs> I've, I've done that though. I've done that. <laughs> I have done that. They like, how you live up here? Ooh, the hawk is You know what? <laughs> See, here's the thing. People need to understand. You down there in Atlanta or wherever. I, my brother's in Georgia. Mm-hmm. My brother's in outside of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and he talks about he he uses you know I just don't, I I don't have to shovel snow. I said uh-huh. yeah, but you got to deal with all the all the mess down there. You got to deal with people who are taking your your vote away, bro. Yeah, you know you got to deal that. you got to deal with people who are trying to figure out other ways of marginalizing you. Yeah. So how's that feel? The possibility of Herschel Walker being a senator. Ain't that Hello, something? Hello, right? Ain't that something? Right? Ain't that something? Yeah. That's a tough one right But that there. tells you right there how they how, that yeah, they have no respect for black people. Hey, you got that right. You they, that's got who that they right. put up there. Oh, that's who man. they put up there. Because they think you ignorant enough just because he played football, that's all you need to know. Any black. And they think that's going to counter the obvious overwhelming abilities of Reverend Warnock. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no. Push-up contest? <laughs> All for Herschel Walker. <laughs> Senator? Yeah, I'm straight no, on that one. Exactly. No, no. So, thank you so much. Thank you. And we'll get some more on this where we're going to get some, some cast. We're going to find out more about this. This is going to be a fun one. I'm connecting. And then keep watching. I may be bringing some of you, some of the Detroit's different people that support this to this experience because we want to support this it's definitely tying into some rich detroit history in a creative way connecting with culture thank you mr anderson thank you curry i appreciate the opportunity peace peace detroit is different is where you get information artistry history music and even comedy detroit is different a home for the culture of detroit visit online at detroitisdifferent.com today